Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. This is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in State, Florida. And next to me is the most wonderful non-award-winning rabbi that you've known. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin, uh, my, my, my good friend. Um, we are recording this on a week that uh, our area um, of South Florida has seen some tragedy that's in the midst of it. So we start off this podcast by just honoring um, and sending um, our prayers um, and lots of love towards all the people on the front lines. We're trying to find um, all the folks who are underneath the rubble, um, and, but also just for God to come and reign and be present with those who are suffering great grief and loss um, and also confusion, not knowing where their loved ones are at. Um, this life is so precious um, and uh, so delicate. And so our hearts are there with them. And uh, so we just kick that off um, and uh, we send some love there. So this is uh, as a good through line, though, because we are talking about holy spaces today. Isn't that right, Rabbi? And, and, Absolutely. and, and, and I think a place, even grief leads us to create holy spaces. You don't need to know that more than when you walk in a cemetery and see people just parading around um, tombstones and praying over them and putting food and drink and it, it's a holy space it's a holy space so what does that mean we're gonna try to figure that out today right absolutely parse it through look at uh you know what is holiness i mean what, what makes a space holy and who defines it who makes it and how can we make those those sparks or those moments of meaning for ourselves to get us closer to god yeah and what does the bible say about it but then rabbi is going to give you his top five ways to make a holy space in your place no he'll give you Top two, maybe top one. We'll see. All right. It's going to be lots of fun no matter what. God bless you. And uh, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with at least one other person, you know, who might get a kick out of a priest and rabbi talking about Bible, talking about culture and everything in between. God bless you. We're going to see you on the flip side. represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Payam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Hey, good morning, everybody in Stewart, Florida. This is Father Christian Anderson at St. Mary's Episcopal Church sending blessings and love towards you. It is a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be alive because God has kept us vertical and up out of bed. Next to me is the finest rabbi you'll see this side of the Jordan River. It is none other than Matthew Rabbi Durbin, who plays career roulette every time he gets on the air with me, his priest. It is great to have you here, my friend. Good morning. Good morning. Your microphone sounds a little bit better today, so we're off to a good start already. It's going to be a great show. It's going to be a great show. Great show. It's going to be a good show. So, okay, my friend, first of all, uh, we want to start off the show by sending lots of love to our sisters and brothers in Miami, sending prayers to all those who are on the front line searching and seeking for uh, the family members and friends who are in the midst of uh, this tragedy um, that's uh, with the condo collapsing. Uh, may God be present um, in all the chaos. 
and uh, be with those who are uh, dealing with this horrific tragedy. Uh, you, my friend, had a first, you, you were right there um, when it happened. We were. I mean, although we were not on uh, 88th and Collins at 1.30 in the morning, but uh, I did take I did take my 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 youngest. Uh, we took two nights, three days down in Miami. We were staying on South Beach. Uh, yesterday was obviously a rainy day uh, down in uh, down in the good old uh, South Beach area. So we decided, you know what? Let's uh, let's go to Fort Lauderdale. We went to uh, we went to Aventura Mall. Figured what what better way to spend time together than going through um, you know tremendous amount of. Uh, uh, stores and cosmetic stores. Uh, but as I was driving north on Collins Avenue, um, you know, I got in the 70s and I thought, wow, this is kind of strange. Uh, I wonder where this may be. And then suddenly as I hit 84th and Collins, everything uh, went to a complete uh, standstill. I mean, police and ambulances. I mean, it was it was pretty crazy. Um, and it took us about two, uh, two and a half hours of uh, being stuck in traffic uh, and having to be redirected all the way back down south to go all the way kind of did a big loop around. So we were, we were kind of stuck in the thick of it uh, for a couple of hours yesterday. Uh, and my youngest uh, and bless her had looked and said, you know, dad, why are all these people here? And I said, well, there was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, of a major, major challenge here. And she looked and she said, dad, why is it look like that building is falling apart? Um, and we got a little bit of a glimpse of it. Um, but it was, uh, my heart goes out to those in Surfside and uh, North Miami Beach and you know, we're hoping and and I pray that uh, they get some resolution quickly um, and, and, you know, may this never happen again. I think that, you know, from from us as a as a as a community here in South Florida, I think it's really important. And hopefully uh, those involved will take the precautionary measures to make sure that, you know, that, that our buildings are safe, especially those on the ocean, uh, so that this tragedy never happen again. Right. It just reminds you also how fragile life is and that uh, every second we get here on this earth is so precious uh, because in a matter of seconds, anything can change in a chaotic world. So um, hug and kiss your family extra tight today and uh, just be grateful um, that 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 you're above ground. So, um, you know, it, segues, to, it segues. Nicely it does. It segues very um, well to the show today because we are talking about sacred ground. We're talking about holy grounds. What makes something holy? And we can just really look at where, when it's all said and done, this area of the condo, um, which I'm assuming at some point will probably all come down. Um, I don't see how anyway, anyone can live in the rest of it. Um, it will become sacred ground. It is sacred ground. Um, lives have been taken there. Um, and so we want to parse, what does it mean to have sacred ground? What does it mean to have a holy space? And of course, as clergy, we, we operate um, in, in a holy space, what culture and God would call a holy space. Um, the, the, well, I don't even know if the guy would say just the church, because the church is not a building, it's people. So we're going to get into all this. What does it mean biblically to have a holy space? What does it mean culturally? Uh, and what does it mean traditionally from our traditions? Uh, and, and then how do you create that in your own home? How do you create that in your own car when you're driving to work? Can you create a holy space? And the rabbi's big question is, who decides that it is a holy space? Because as we all know, back in the Holy Land, there are some places that some people say is a holy space and other people say is a place of, of, of demons. So um, so let's get into this. First, let, let's, just, let's just step back, of course, with a 30,000 foot view of, of a holy space. Um, if, if, let's, start with, let's start with the Bible. Let's go there. I heard that's a pretty good book to read. And then we'll look at what culture says, what Webster says, Britannica, blah, 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 blah. 
So what do you got for me, uh, Rabbi? You're so much smarter than I am when it comes to the Holy Scripture. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, there, there, there's a lot. There's a lot in the Torah. There's a lot within um, Jewish tradition, certainly within your own tradition, of um, Christian tradition. But I think, I think for us largely, I'm, you know, the main statement really does come out of Leviticus, where it says that God spoke to Moses, Leviticus 19, the first, uh, the first verse, that says, and God spoke to Moses saying, speak to the entire, the whole Israelite community, and you shall say to them, you shall be holy, for I, Adonai, your God, am holy. So, you know, that's, that's you know, one of our textual references first from Leviticus 19 that really frames God's understanding and what God expects of us. But again, it begs the question, what does that mean to be holy, right? And we use a Hebrew word, kadosh, kadosh in Hebrew, to be holy. But it's the same Hebrew root, kuf dalit shin, kadosh, also means to sanctify. And I think if we take those two terms, to be holy and sanctified, we have to define what sanctification means. And at least for me, and I'm fairly certain I can speak for you, right? Sanctification is sanctifying or acknowledging or in some way bringing in God's holy name, right? Invoking God. You know, I, I, I tend to use this example a lot with our religious school, with our uh, adults, with, um, you know, teaching opportunities, right? Um, it, it's a shame that this is radio and not so much uh, TV, so you're able to see, but now that we're you know, recording. Well, we are. Stuff. You can catch us on Facebook Live. See. Go to our Facebook Live page. I use this. What Rabbi is doing right now. So I use this as an example, right? This, in Jewish custom and tradition and ritual, is known as a kiddush cup, right? Same root, kiddush, kuf dalit shin, to be holy or to sanctify, right? This is just a kiddush cup. Means nothing. It may be special because we don't drink out of this thing every single day. We drink out of it on Shabbat, right? So Friday night, Saturday morning, when we sanctify God and we bless this cup. So when I pour wine inside of it, it still doesn't render this vessel holy. It may render this vessel as special, right? I don't do it all the time. But the second I say in Hebrew, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri HaGafen, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, sovereign of the universe, who creates fruit of the vine. I've now rendered the liquid inside, the wine, and this cup, I've rendered this vessel as holy. Now, what does that mean? Why? Because I've brought God in. There's an acknowledgement of a bigger world and a bigger place beyond myself. I did not create fruit of the vine. I did not create vegetation. I didn't create, and I'm sure we can argue in some way, sure, farmers do. They plant seeds. Yes, but in an ethereal sense and in a more spiritual sense, God created all. So in that regard, it is, and I think that there is something really, really unique about making something holy, right? It's saying, although it may be special, there's something there that says God is the bigger piece that is working and manifesting in, in a variety of different ways in order for us to reap the benefit, if that makes sense. So what I'm hearing from you is that this God is present everywhere. He is omniscient, omnipresent, uh, but it's up to us 
as his children, if we choose to be his children, but if we choose to accept his presence. And when we do accept his presence and claim his presence and call his presence upon, whether it's a cup, whether it's a space, uh, then it becomes holy. Until then, it's sort of like the, the free will. We have this choice of, do we want to invite God and reveal God in everything that we're doing or in some things that we're doing? Um, or do we want to just go on and just make it our own? And so for you, you're saying, okay, I have this cup. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, a, I have right now, I have a mug. I'm drinking a mug that my wife loves to use. So it's, it's nice that I'm, I'm using it. And, and, uh, but if I want to claim that God can be present just in this cup of coffee in this cup and make it holy, and maybe it's sacred because I adore my wife. I love my wife. I'm, I have a sentimental value to this mug as well, but I'm also going to ask for the for, for, for God's love to be present. And there's something very special and holy about it. So it's, it, it, there's, it's special because it's my wife's cup, but it's holy because I feel like I've asked God to bless it because this is maybe a symbol of our marriage, a marriage that he gave us. So it is holy. And when, it, when that happens, when we make something holy, don't you think that when we all can agree on this, it could change our behavior and our perceptions and how we act towards that object or that space. It might change the way we do things and how we, what things that come out of our mouths. Maybe we use different language. Um, if you have a holy space inside of your house, maybe you don't swear <laughs> in that area. You, you show more reverence because you said this is a holy space. So am I picking up what you're putting down? You, you are. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting too, because a part of me that also says, can we make a space holy with the acknowledgement and the recognition of God, but does it have to be audible, right? In some way, can I bless God in my head and in my heart, even though I may not audibly say it out loud and verbalize it, is that the same? And a part of me says, no, it's not. I mean, look, in, in some sense, God understands the inner workings of my heart. God sees, God hears, God feels, you know, I get it. But then the other part that says there's something about the blessing and the acknowledgement that is being said out loud. Now, we could even be doing it to ourselves in a room filled with nobody, right? But in that context, is that room still devoid of people? Are we still absent if it's just a big sanctuary or, you know, as in your context, look, sitting in your living room, you may be the only one. Are you really the only one? I would argue no. God is with you. The question is, how do we bring God in to a space to sanctify and to make that space holy? Okay, right? so, so, so can that just be, so when we get down to, there, there's a part where it's like, yes, the ethereal thing, God is everywhere and anywhere. And you and I, a part of our job is to help people be aware of God's presence all the time all the time, whether you're washing the dishes, whether you're driving the car, or whether you're down on your knees inside of the sanctuary saying, please, God, come save me. God is present in all of it. And the more we believe, you and I, the more that we can do that in our daily lives, the more our lives in this world becomes richer. And the more we can become obedient to this loving God who is constantly transforming it to real, reveal his goodness. Um, and so can we, so what I'm hearing you say is that everything potentially can be holy, everything. Everything under God's green and God's green earth under his love can be holy. Do we agree on that? I agree. Absolutely. Okay. So, so maybe we could get there another way too. How does something then become unholy? Mm. I mean, if we take it from the approach of what makes something holy to what makes something unholy would be not recognizing that God or bringing God in, in some way. You know, if we go back to our, and, and I love what you did before, which was to say, let's go back to the source, 
right? Let's go back to the Torah. Let's go back to some of our teachings. So maybe we can learn about a space. How do we make something meaningful? And maybe that's another word as we go forward with uh, holiness is to make it impactfully meaningful for us. May not be meaningful for you, may be meaningful for me, right? Go back to the, you know, to that impactful, you know, narrative in Genesis that talks about Jacob, right? And Jacob, you know, lies his head down. He wakes up in the morning and he says, and I'll take, I'll take a little bit of, of, of Hebrew liberty here. Go and he for wakes it. up and he goes, oh my, God was in this place, but I didn't know it. How do you not know it? So I think for Jacob, it was acknowledging a space and a holy space where he laid down and he woke up and recognized that God is anywhere and everywhere, that God is in this sacred space, in this space for him, and, and really uses that for himself as strength. And I think maybe there is strength in the acknowledgement. I think, well, I don't think, I personally feel that there is a lot of strength and a lot of um, uh, connection when we when we understand and see things in some way. I mean, Father Anderson, let me let me pose it to you. Have uh -oh. you ever been in a situation before where maybe you haven't felt the presence of God, but then after such an interaction, say to yourself, "Huh, God was in this place," and like Jacob, I just didn't know it. Yes, absolutely. I think that, uh, well, you, my friend, uh, had front row seats for this, for, for this testimony. Um, I don't know if this is what you were trying to serve up here. Um, but so I used to work in the LA nightclub scene. So that was my survival job when I was an actor in Los Angeles. So I worked in the nightclub world. And I remember working, so I rose up in the ranks and became this, this front door, the front door man. I was the person deciding who came in and came out of the club. So you would think this is completely antithetical to a person who's trying to be a follower of Jesus. I'm literally judging people at the door if they are attractive enough, if they are capable enough, if they are have enough money to get inside the club. Um, and so after a while doing this, even though it paid good money, I, I felt um, I just being, a, I was being a total hypocrite. So I go to my priest and I say, I got to get out of this. I got to leave. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit uh, because it is not helping me. I, I feel like I'm just being a total hypocrite. And she said to me, she said, you know, who are you to decide where the kingdom of God can be revealed. Who are you to decide where the light of Christ can be? And if God has put you there, then you need to listen to that, but you need to also change your behaviors and your ways so you can reflect the kingdom of God. But why would you just want to come back here to this quote unquote, holy space? All you're doing is preaching to the choir. That is where you need to be and make that holy. Now I'm paraphrasing her words to fit our conversation here, but that's essentially what she said. So that put a fire underneath me saying, can I exist in a place that's technically called unholy and reveal, help reveal uh, the holy? And then I have a responsibility not to act like a jackass on, at the front door. Am I allowed to say that word? That's too you late. Did. Okay. I'm not, but so, so then I changed my behavior at the front door and it helped also helped me be bolder about my faith to talk to people about it. And it led to some really wonderful things. Uh, did I fail a lot? Absolutely. But did it help reveal a holiness and God's presence a little bit more and more and more? Sure. Were we praising God and singing praise songs at the nightclub? No, but there were holy moments that got revealed moments and holy spaces. Now, were there still people doing cocaine and crazy things? Yes. Uh, but was there more of God? God was given the opportunity to be revealed in conversations 
in acts of love uh, that maybe I wouldn't have been aware of before or wouldn't have been in the middle of because I was just chalking all up as a night job that just paid the bills and I'm in this unholy place that's making me do unholy things. So I think anywhere you go, I mean, I think prison ministry is a great, is, is a, a wonderful example of that. We as a society, as a culture, look at prisons, these horrible places where these bad people go who deserve to stay there and be punished. Um, but then as people of God, we say, not true. We believe in rehabilitation. We believe that people can, uh, through God and through their way, make choices to be a resurrection of sorts, as we would say in Christianity. So we need to go in there and make it a sanctified, holy space, do Bible studies, pray with people, reveal the holy in this, reveal we have a God of reconciliation, a God of redemption, a God of forgiveness. And there's been incredible, powerful stories that have come out of prison ministry that will bring you to tears, bring you to tears, if we decide to make it holy. But um, I love what you said too, which is your own, your own journey and your own experience as you, as you had that conversation with that priest, which I think was, was very fortuitous, right? That in some way, God was speaking through her so that God could actually penetrate through your own ears for you to hear the message, right? It was up to you, as you had said, and we discussed this before, is that it was a choice that you made. Now, I love what you said at the end, which was, and it led to other opportunities. And maybe that's it, is that obviously the choices we make have repercussions to our actions. But in some way, it's the opening of doors and the opening of God's presence that allows us to have God's bounty within ourselves if we allow ourselves the opportunity to bring God in. You know, I'm, I'm, I, and, and I use this with, with, with my Torah study group on Shabbat morning, on Saturday mornings. Right. Uh, you know, there, there is one time a week where I really see, I truly see God and God's magnificent world and the fact that I am just a grain of sand in an entire beach. And that is as I drive over that Palm City Bridge into Stewart, uh, I, I drive it every day. I never really pay attention. And the one time I do pay attention for some bizarre reason is Shabbat morning. I drive over that bridge at 7.30 in the morning. I look to my right and my left. I see the water. And there's something there where I acknowledge the vastness and just God's incredible, just creative act of our world. And as I drive home at 2 o'clock or so in the afternoon, I see it again. And it really does fill my heart. And, and, and I struggle with it because the part of me says, why do I only see this one day a week? Why do I only see this on Shabbat? Is it because I'm more hyper aware? I'm more sensitive to? Is it because today is holy and therefore I should be programmed to think the same way? Unanswered questions, but I think that, that at least for me, maybe it is a centering and a grounding of my soul and my body and my mind for me to be able to acknowledge it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God and how God is there for us at every time of every joyful moment, every distressing moment, every challenging moment, every traumatic moment, that, that, that God is there. We just need to find that space that, that allows it to come in. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at our Facebook page and Robert uh, Hochstein put, put on here, sometimes the beach is my place of worship. 
Um, and I need to also let you know that Robert said that, Rabbi, your hair looks good. So that's always a good thing. So it's not just the producer, Evan, and I noticing how beautiful and holy your hair is. Also, <laughs> Robert, our listeners are, are acknowledging that. Uh, but so the, the beach, yes. So the beach can just be culturally, just be a wonderful place to recreate, enjoy. Uh, it could be a place you lay out. It could be a place to go seen and be seen. Um, it could be a place for you to fall into temptation and look at people running around in scantily clad clothes. Or it could be a revelation of the holy. Uh, and I think you, you have to make the choice. I think you have to go say, God, reveal yourself. Sanctify this space. Make it holy. And because I look at also that uh, Rhoda, 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 hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right. Rhoda Johnson. Um, she said um, on her Facebook page, what I consider holy may not be considered holy by, no, she says nothing or anyone is holy, only the Bible. So, so this is, I think we want to earmark this and in, in, in the second half of the show, we're going to come to this, um, but let's just tease this out a little bit right here. So Rhoda is saying that nothing is holy except the Bible. I, I would say that the Leviticus passage you said would lead us to make any space holy. And, and it's not just the Bible, that every that God sanctifies our spaces. And as a Christian, we believe that God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. So spaces are sanctified. The temple is sanctified. And when you, so these, not just, it's not just the Bible. The Bible directs us to sanctify other spaces so God is present. Would you but agree? I think that's just it, is, is that, and, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak for Rhoda at all. And, and Rhoda, thank you for your, your, your listenership and your continued uh, you know, watching of our show, which has been great. But I think what Rhoda's trying to say here is that the Bible itself, right, the scripture itself is holy. It's how we act on that scripture that provides that, that meaning for us as individuals as we go forward. You know, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of power in it as long as we take that, that, that the, the proper steps to be able to, to get that for ourselves. You know, and I'm always, you know, we go back to Robert's comment about the beach, you know, and, and look, you do the same thing. You guys have had um, this weekend. Uh, we're going to the beach this weekend, nine a.m. to do a baptism, right? So you guys do baptisms on the beach. We do, uh, we do mikvahs, mikvahot. We do that at the beach, right? We do, we do beach shabbos, right? So if we're saying that any and every space can be potentially made holy, right? Our tradition, Jewish tradition, actually says that when we actually build a community. What do we build first? Oh. And it's actually quite the opposite. There you you go. don't build a sanctuary. You build a school. You build a school to be able to educate our children and the next generation. Because what is a sanctuary? A sanctuary are four walls, a sacred space that we pour out our longings and our devotion towards God. It doesn't have to be in a sanctuary. It doesn't have to be in a church. It doesn't have to be in a mosque or a synagogue. It can be out in God's greatest expanse, being near the ocean. It can be anywhere, as long as we consecrate or make that space holy. Okay. Let's take a quick break. Let's take a quick break, because what I want to push back on that is I thought you were going in a completely different direction. So when you come back, you're going to see me completely disagreeing with the rabbi, which should not be unusual at all, because we disagree with each other. But I'm going to push back and say it is not the school. It's not that. There's something much bigger that God is calling us to do in the holy spaces. So uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from all the people who make it responsible for rabbi to be able to cut his hair. But we're also looking for a sponsor to get rabbi a new microphone. 
So please, if you want to sponsor Rabbi's New Microphone, we'll shout you out here on the air. Uh, please contact us at a priest and a rabbi podcast at gmail.com or give us a call here at the studio, 772-280-9788 and talk to our producer, Mr. 789. All right, my friends, God bless you and let's listen to our sponsors. One at seven nine, producer of a priest and a rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at your favorite Christian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in thirty four other countries. Thanks for being here and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform form you're listening from. Now back to a priest and a rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning priest and a rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. And welcome back to part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. This is Father Christian Anderson from St. Mary's Episcopal Church in State, Florida. Uh, next to me is Rabbi Matthew Durbin, um, who has just got his microphone sponsored. Big, big shout out to Ellen Garalek Stevenson. This is the second person who's offered to buy Rabbi a microphone. And we have zero new microphones for Rabbi Durbin because he has not called them. So on air, I am calling you out. You need to at least call Ms. Stevenson and get this microphone so you don't sound like anymore, like you are a garbage pail kid talking out of your garbage can. Love it. All right, so let me go back. Uh, let me go back to, to <laughs> just just uh, just a moment here. Um, You're not going to acknowledge that with a response. Uh, no. Um, uh, but but look, uh, and again, for all of our listeners, look, what, what it does show, uh, and it shows me, and it certainly shows uh, you know our community is, look, the impact that we are doing in, in, in what we aim to achieve, which is let's discuss some of these issues between Jews, Christians, let's learn about one another and be able to poke fun um, of, of each respective, uh, uh, you know, community. Uh, and, and it's been great. And look, uh, you know, for our listeners, you know, we're, we're actually, we're, we're getting pretty close, Father Anderson, to hitting the three-year mark, uh, which will be in October, which has been great. Um, and I just want to just, you know, as just before we get into the rest of the program, really to be able to thank our listeners. Um, look, from my, my perspective, from Tabo Hayam, from the Jewish people, from me as a rabbi, certainly for St. Mary's and for Father Anderson, look, thank you for listening and your continued uh, you know, listenership. It means a lot to us. I know that we, we're trying to really uh, make impact and make big ground here in Martin County and be able to be a, 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 a sacred space um, a, a, a holy space for people to voice their opinions, their thoughts, their, their longings and their hearts to be able to connect in a variety of different ways, whether it be through Judaism, whether it be through, um, uh, through Christianity, uh, but being ways of being able to come together. So I just wanted to just put that out there. The well, second, get, get, now, now you, never mind. I interrupted you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So, um, you know, I just want to go back to that, 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 that space of, uh, as you said, just before we went to break. Um, look, in no way am I trying to say that a sanctuary is not holy. What I am trying to say is that in Jewish tradition, we are told that ultimately any space we can make holy, 
right? The beach, the ocean, right? Wherever we are. But the most important thing for us is obviously the next generation. We need to educate, we need to inform. And there has to be certain tools and certain skills that are used and utilized to be able to impress that upon the next generation and our children, right? So in some way, we actually say that when we build a sanctuary, right? The first thing that we need to build is a school, followed by we can build a sanctuary. And actually what we're told is when we build a sanctuary to leave a corner of our sanctuary unfinished. And part of that is an acknowledgement that we are not perfect human beings. The only perfect entity out there is God. And in some way we leave that piece unfinished for us to remind ourselves constantly that there is something bigger than ourselves, that God is part of our world. Uh, for those at Temple Beit Hayam, please don't take the opportunity to look around the sanctuary and find those unfinished pieces. I know what it is. It is your microphone. It's your microphone. That is the unfinished piece of construction. That is the imperfect part of the whole temple. It's Rabbi's microphone. But, but when we look at it from that way, I think that there is something really, uh, really kind of almost beautiful about it is that we leave something unfinished. We're not complete, right? As human beings, we're not complete. We are complete in some way, and this may be spiritually, we're complete when we bring God in and God is all around us and we're consumed by God. And in some way, uh, and I do understand the challenging uh, uh, statement that I've used, right? How do we access God if I'm not willing to bring God in? Or maybe I've had a traumatic experience Maybe I, uh, maybe I don't believe, right? So, so in, in, in that way, what does make something, what makes something holy? I mean, you know. All right, you've been talking a long time here. Listen, let yeah, me interrupt here. For those that Buildings, you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you, I served this up before break and you've been going on a diatribe here. The buildings, the schools, that is not what God is saying is holy. It's not. What is holy are the people. The church is not the buildings, it's the people. The temple is not the buildings, it's the people. Maybe a tradition is different for you, but the, when the, this is the, more the Protestant side of me, not more the, got a Catholic side and a Protestant side. Catholics would say, yes, there's holy spaces, there's holy bricks, there's holy sanctuaries, there's holy altars. But the Protestant side of me says, stop it. That causes wars, that causes issues. We got a whole problem in the Middle East because people are having God in the real estate business. The people are the holy temples of God. So as a Christian, the Jesus says, this is the temple, a holy temple. And even in the in Hebrew scripture talks about, this is this temple that I've given you. Don't, don't make it sacrilege. Don't put tattoos on it. Don't mistreat it. Don't sell it. Don't use it for, and, and give it generously and serve others with it. This is the temple. This is the holy. So I would say that forget the buildings, forget the spaces. If we can focus on the people of God or the holy places, then when we walk into the prisons, when we walk onto the battlefield and we see each other as sacred temples of God, that's where it is, because if we get caught up in the spaces, if we get caught up in the schools, if we get caught up that only when you come to church on Sunday, that's the holy space. Now we put God in a box. Now we've compartmentalized the holy, where the holy is everywhere. If we choose and allow, now we can make certain spaces reverent so that allows us to access the holy so it can infiltrate every single part of our lives. Um, but it's the people. And right now we're contagious. We're, we're, no, we think other people are, are unholy because you're red or because you're blue or because you're Democrat or because you voted for Trump, that, that we've taken away the holiness of one another. 
when we're all, I mean, so I think that if we could get back to the place that we're all these, these temples of, of, of the holy, and that changes our behavior too, by the way, when that does. Well, you know, it's interesting, as you mentioned, because I think, look, from a Judaic perspective, take the classic example of Shabbat, right? What makes Shabbat holy? It's not saying that everyone's got to pack into a temple and go into a sanctuary and pray together. In an ideal world, I'd love people to come into the sanctuary to hear my words that I pour over, that I prepare every week. But at the end of the day, Shabbat is also a home celebration, right? It's a home recognition, right? When I light my candles with my kids on Friday afternoon, for of course I come here early, there's something that says I transformed that sacred space in my living room or my kitchen or my dining room table, and I bring it in to acknowledge God, right? I've always said in numerous uh, instances in synagogues around the world, right? At the end of the day, my concern as a rabbi is not filling 250 some odd seats in a sanctuary. It's not my concern. My concern is for those who are not joining us for Shabbat, are we doing something Jewish in our homes that mark the holiness and the, and the sanctity of Shabbat in a meaningful way? And maybe that's lighting our candles, Maybe that's spontaneous prayer. Maybe it's prescribed prayer. Maybe it's engaging in a conversation about Israel. Maybe it's about, you know, I, I, I really love this prayer, or maybe I don't like this prayer, but it's bringing something in and the acknowledgement of God as we bless God through our blessings that bring in and the acknowledgement that today is different, right? Tonight will be different. Tonight is not the same as Thursday night or Wednesday night, right? Tonight is Shabbat. How do we make that holy? And, and, and from a Jewish perspective, all of our festivals, all of our holidays, they were all home celebrations that we brought in, right? We look at life cycle events, Brit Milah, the rite of circumcision, right? For our sons that are eight days old, we, 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 it was always a home celebration. The Moyle comes in, he does a procedure, we say some blessings and prayers, we celebrate the fact that a new Jewish boy has been brought into the covenant with the Jewish people. That's wonderful. Why is it shifted from the home to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the synagogue? I can fit a lot more people in my synagogue than I can in my house. But it's always been a home celebration. So what, and, and I love what you said, because you're right. Uh, you know, I'm not contesting it. Holiness is internal. I don't think holiness is something that... Holiness is something that I define for myself. And how I define holiness for me may be very different to the way you do. It's the same understanding as I would say with, in a Judaic perspective, how we celebrate Shabbat, how I honor and keep Shabbat may be very different to the way somebody else does. doesn't mean that it's any less than or any greater. Well, than. no, but like, yes. So let's just hold that right there because you talk about it's, 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 we decide. So we are, we have to be aware of, we are deciding what's holding, what's not. Absolutely. Sometimes it's subjective. I just remember when I went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, our guy kept on telling us, Okay, so Zion was there. Now, now Zion, we think, is here. Holy spaces move. Uh, we, we think Jesus was born there. Oh, no, but the Orthodox people say Jesus was born there. No, but then the Coptics would say that Jesus was born there. There are all three different churches. Holy spaces move. It depends who's in control, who has the power, who decided. So the thing is, does it matter if Jesus was born there or if I'm here in Detroit at a church that says, let's honor Jesus? 
it's the space. It's, it's the, it's, it's the person who has to be inhabited. God is so much bigger than just the Holy Sepulcher. I know it's going to sound sacrilege to a lot of people of the Christian faith, but God is so much bigger than just a defined space. It's just that the Holy Spirit came to go everywhere amongst us all. And just the, this definition of these holy spaces that we hold so dear and we say, this is so sacred. How could you, how dare you do this at this space, at this place? And then an archeologist will come 20 years later and be like, actually guys, that's not the place. It's actually over there. It's, but even if you use it in that context, right? We know the church of the Holy Sepulchre, right? You walk into that church. There's a slab that is there on the ground. Where is the slab that apparently Jesus had died on that slab? What makes that space, what makes that space holy as opposed to the birthplace of where Jesus was with, 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 with Nazareth, right? Why is Nazareth not more holy than Jerusalem or, or uh, you know, Bethlehem? You know, although those spaces are holy and important to Christian ideology and Christian faith, ideology. What, makes, <laughs> what, makes, what, makes, what makes that space is there something that makes that space holier than than another space? Or sure. again, does it go back to that conversation that you posed earlier of who defines it? Well, yes, but it's the events that happen there. And these are all tools, right? I, it, it, there's a big Catholic side of me. I love the holy places. I love holy things. Trust me, I, the, the sacraments, I'm in it. I'm hill climbing singer. But I also, as a Protestant side, I'm like, let's back off a minute and not put so much so much pressure upon these spaces because this is the holy temple and god we're asking for god to transform our hearts our, our broken hearts so but but yeah i mean let, let, let's look at the condo i mean it, it's a it's a horrible tragic place that when it's all said and done it's become it is will become a holy space it'll be a place of grief a place of a more if you go to the 9-11 memorial i would say that's a holy space you know how many that you go to the 9-11 memorial it is soaked in prayer it is to me a holy space is one that is soaked in prayer you people go there for whatever reason whatever reason as a culture as a tradition as a religion we've decided collectively that this is a holy place um grave sites holy places you go because there's something i think i think you and i would say there's something beyond our understanding that we call the divine god is present somehow whether it's because of our great grief our great joy something's happened here or is memorialized here and be, that allows us um, it's like when you go to the theater you go to the theater it becomes to me it's one of the holiest spaces uh, next to it, next to a church, because you're given this permission to drop your guards down of these human walls that we have up because you're witnessing a actor portraying something, maybe grief on stage that you are unable to experience in your own life because you have your walls up, but you see this person living it. And it allows you to feel that pain, to feel that loss. It becomes a holy space because we're able to be vulnerable, to be present with something that's beyond ourselves. So if whatever that may be, so let's get to the practicalities of this then, Rabbi. You have a, let's say Rhoda calls you. You know, Rhoda's awesome. She's on our comment section right now, blowing it up. I wish you would go on Facebook too and start talking about Rabbi Dermot. So if, if she comes to you and says, Rabbi, I want to make some more holy spaces in my home, right? I, I, I get it. I'm a holy space from God, yada, yada, yada. But I just want to have some places in my home. What would be a recommendation to you, to any listener, um, of how to create a holy space within the house? Because I'm sure you do this with your daughters. I mean, I think, I think look, it, and, and, and I think it's a, great, it's, a great, it's a great question. I think it's a great thing to unpack, right? If Rhoda were to say to me, Rabbi, how do I make some space within my home uh, a sacred space? I think it, it's a... Let's find those spaces that are meaningful for you, 
right? Maybe it's a dining room table, right? What makes that space, and I think we have the conversation of what makes that space special to you? What, what makes it meaningful? Right? Maybe we talk about what that space is. Well, how do we transform that space from something special to something holy? It's about bringing God in. It's exactly what you just mentioned earlier, right? Even when we look at 9-11 or we look at Surfside, right? That space that we make holy in some way is through prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer is the acknowledgement and the ability to express our devotion and our connection to God. It's God. We bring God in. So if I was sitting around a dining room table, I was sitting at Rhoda's table, I would say, okay, this the, the beautiful table. You have a great uh, uh, array here. This is, this is great. This is a very special place for you. Maybe it's a space that calms you down. Maybe it's a, a space that reminds us of our youth or our families. Wonderful. What about the acknowledgement of just saying, thank you, God, for this beautiful and sacred space that I had before me. Thank mm. you, God, for the ability to, for me to acknowledge this space. And I think that that does render it in some way holy. And I think it's, 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 it's through conversation, I believe, that also makes something um, meaningful, right? But not conversation that just says, I have it in my head, but maybe a conversation with God. Doesn't mean we're crazy to sit there and go, you know, look, I sit in an office. Is this office holy? No, it's an office. It's a study. I got four walls. I got a desk. But yet, I transform this space into something that is a holy space when I engage in Talmud, I engage in Shabbat preparation, I have students come in, I have members of my community come in that are seeking guidance or seeking support in some way. It's about the acknowledgement as I, people come in because there is a presence in some way, whether it be a, 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 you know, a physical presence, a spiritual presence, uh, or, or an emotive presence that says there's something there that makes this Makes it special. You're, you're getting back to that same theme, which is a holy a holy space is a choice. It really is. God is available anywhere you want to be. Surely this is a holy space, right? This is you put your head down on a rock, you wake up and you see angels walking up and down to heaven. The, the, every space can be. I think of this. Uh, we have a new priest at our church, Reverend Patsy, and she is a prayer warrior. She came in and she took an office that was just a you know parish administrator's office, seemed plain as day, just books plain books, plain desk, uh, you know, just kind of a straightforward, boring office. Uh, this woman came in and she sanctified that space. Uh, she brought in a lot of her own tchotchkes, but they were very holy tchotchkes. Uh, she changed the furniture. She brought in a kneeler. A kneeler is what you can kneel down and pray upon. Uh, she set up colors that reflect and it's soothing and comforting. She has candles that it can be lit. So it invites, you walk into the space and you're like, oh, oh, there's something special here. There's something sacred. And when a parishioner walks into that space, maybe to take confession, maybe just to talk to them about how their children are um, struggling in school, um, marriage is on the rocks, or just need a place to re for refreshment, they're going to know right when they walk into that room that the, 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 something's about to happen. There's, the, the sacred is here, the holy is here. And that's also not just because she put up a bunch of tchotchkes, but because she soaks that place in prayer. She sings hymns in that. She invites God into that space. She says, God, come upon this space. Make it a place of healing. Make it a sanctuary. I love going into hotel rooms with my wife. And the first thing that we do when we walk in a hotel room after we check the mattress for bed bugs, because I'm crazy that way, um, is that we, we bless the space. 
just we bless the space and say, God, come upon this space, come upon this room, make it a place of comfort, uh, a, a sanctuary uh, for us. Whose choice, whole... Who's choice was that? Just out of curiosity. Both me. of yours? Uh, me, but once I started doing it, she was totally on board. She loves it. But so. was that is that is that a choice that you've done for majority of your life when you go into a space that may not be your own to be able to sanctify it? Yeah. Yeah, even before I was a priest, it was just the thing that like, you know, to invite God into that space, especially in a hotel room. Um, I think, you know, that's become a place in the ministry I've loved doing is blessing homes. You know, you, you're with someone, someone had a boat there. We have a person who's on a boat and they're, they're on that for like four years now. So we had people come on and we had the holy water and we went to each room and there's a book that you can to bless, bless the space and make it sacred. And it was wonderful. It really was to be able to share that with them. And, and because, you know, they were nervous. They were nervous going out into the waters of what, what it's like to be out there and to know that there's this community of God that cares about them that's going to call the holy upon this boat, call the holy there and make it a place of comfort, make it a place of healing. You, you just declare, make it God's as opposed to, well, we're going out in the seas. You have no idea what's ahead of us. The God's with you. And, and and that's what the church, that's what the temple, that's what the mosque does, is, is call forth the holy. It's our choice. We can just, we can say, we, as you and I have alluded to before, you can, you can deny or ignore the holy. You can allow it to become a den of thieves, a den of robbers. You can allow it to just to turn into that. But there's always but I think, hope. There's always hope. But I think the important thing, too, is that, as you said, I can deny it in some way. Or I can, I can, I can, I can suppress it. I can just forget about it. And that's fine. But I think what the beauty is, is that God is always there as an unconditional parent to be able to say, when you're ready, I am always here to welcome you back with open arms. Mm -hmm. That we can abandon in some way, we can forget, right? But we can always come back. Uh, and just to also say as a complete non sequitur here for those that uh, maybe, maybe, you know, listening and obviously with Father Anderson railing on uh, rabbi for a, uh, for a microphone, we can also do the same Father Anderson, you know, if we want, you know, we can take up a collection for getting you a, um, a, a, a girl's beret, if you want, or, or yes. some scrunchies, uh, you know, maybe the church doesn't have scrunchies, but uh, I'm sure we can take up a collection to get you a bunch of scrunchies rather than a pen to put in your man bun. The very, very unholy are scrunchies. Um, he's so happy that he just made, made that crack. If you are on our video stream right now, he is l jumping up and down laughing. Um, so listen, let me leave you all with this. Or let me leave you with Rabbi. One of my heroes is um, Father Greg Boyle. And this is a book, one of the books written by was G-Dog and the Homeboys. And then he wrote a great book called Tattoos on the Heart. And it's about him going into East LA um, as a Catholic priest and being called into this area, he had no clue what to do, but it was gang infested. And it was during the time when really the, the political platform was to refer to, to these young men who had turned to gangs as monsters. And it was used as a political, uh, they were used as political pawns to help promote this, in, uh, this, this huge uh, uh, movement to uh, throw a lot of these gangsters right into prison, uh, but there was no sense of a rehabilitation. They, were, they weren't seen as human beings. They were called monsters all the time. And that's how uh, we had certain political leaders come and win office because they said, I am the hard, tough crime person. So he comes in, he says, these are not just gangsters. These are children of God. This is not just a ghetto. This is a holy space. And he committed to being to befriending, to loving, to serving and walking with uh, these quote unquote gangsters and say, you're more than that. You are a child of God and loving on them and said, now let's create alternatives. Let's create a bakery. 
right? So you do, you do have, you have homeboy bakeries uh, and it's grown and grown and grown. So now it's a multi, multi-million dollar uh, nonprofit that has been taking uh, young men and women off the street, leaving the gang life and finding to be able to achieve their dreams and saying this, they don't just have to go around and slang dope um, and kill people. He saw the holy, the holy can overcome anything. Um, it's a choice that we make every single day. Do we want to get into the unholy or do we want to make it holy? Come God, come sanctify this space. Come sanctify this traffic I'm in right now so I don't lose my mind. Sanctify this office space so we can have really open and wonderful giving conversations. Come Holy Spirit. You know, that's that's the call that we, and, and help me to drop all my own issues, my own ego, my own pride, my own sin, because where am I making things unholy? That's always the first step. Um, but, but I yeah, think also, as you, as you also mentioned, right, I, I, I think that there is a danger to be able to say in some way, I am seeking, um, I'm seeking a connection or I'm, I'm seeking holiness in some way as that is the end all and be all to what happens ultimately. And I think to go back to what you had said before is I think holiness is finding those sparks, those moments that we are able to define for ourselves. That's holiness. Holiness doesn't need to be a state of mind that we are constantly in 24-7. But we can have spiritual or connective or holy moments, sparks, that we bring into it. Well, we're about to have a holy cow moment at St. Mary's Episcopal Church because Rabbi Durbin will be leading a lunch and learn on the first three Thursdays of July. So that means this coming Thursday... Rabbi Durbin from 12 to 1.30 will be at St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Steart, Florida. Uh, please let me know if you want to come. If you are local, you could hit me up at christian at stmarys-stewart.org or at the church, info at stmarys-stewart.org and let us know. It is not a hybrid um, class, so you have to just be present in person because we're eating food and we have not figured out the digital food thing yet. So we're making up some wonderful meals. We realize- And we're saying it's open not only to your community. Can, are, my, are my folks available? Dude, anyone can come. I don't care if you're an atheist, if you're a Hindu, like what, 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 just come. Let's just go wrap with the rabbi. It's Judaism 101. He's gonna help us figure some stuff out. Um, there is a competition. So I'm going to do the same thing at his place and whoever gets the most amount of converts uh, wins the new car. <laughs> so, uh, anyhow, so that's all coming up. So really come and join us in person to keep this momentum going. We love learning about each other's face. Uh, I believe Rabbi says it probably makes him a better Jew hanging around me and he definitely makes me a better Christian being around him. So, all right, my friends, we are going to blast off here. God bless you. Make your space holy. Please let us know in the comment section how you make holy spaces around your home. What do you do? Do you like candles, yoga mats, whatever, Bible verses on the wall? Do you put up things and colors and stuff? What do you do to create the sacred as like a power base before you head off? Do you do anything in your car? We want to know. Go on our Facebook page, like the page, put a comment there. Also subscribe to our podcast. It is a priest and a rabbi podcast. It is the one that is better than the other. So you'll know it because you'll see our beautiful faces. We will see you next week, next Friday here when we talk about how holy is rabbi's hair. This is Father Christian. He is Matthew Durbin, the rabbi Matthew Durbin. And that is our producer, 789. Peace. God bless you. Thank you.